welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the anatomy of a League of Legends rank climb. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. On this podcast, we like to talk about games. And League of Legends has made a pretty hefty resurgence into our lives and the attention that we put into our uh, sort of gaming sphere. So really deep, like digging in and kind of picking apart some of the aspects of it is something of interest. And we just got off of, congratulations, Mango. Welcome to Silver. Yeah, um, We just got off of a ranked climb. Where in the ranked flex queue, which is the 5v5 queue, um, uh, Mango was promoted into silver four from bronze. Uh, so I don't really know where to start when it comes to when it comes to uh, the ranked climb. Like, where do you want to begin? So I, I think I kind of want to talk a little bit about the general advice. Friend of the cast, Junki, has uh, is a devotee of our summoner school and all the kind of conventional wisdom of climbing. And the conventional wisdom is you uh, you play the hero that you're good on, and you keep playing that hero, and you master that hero, and that's how you climb, is you just keep practicing with one hero until it's very solid. If um, that hero is up, you pick that hero. You, yeah. pick, you play one or two roles maximum, right, and focus all of your time and attention and energy on those on those roles. Yeah. Um, and uh, I have been, and, and to a certain extent you have also been, uh, a little bit critical in, in that, like, you know, this technique doesn't work for everyone. Everybody's a little bit different. You don't necessarily need to do that. That being said, I did this climb almost entirely on Nautilus. Um, part of this is that we usually had a five stack, and so at that point it's easy enough for me to pick my position, and Nautilus doesn't get banned much. Um but uh, even in the games where I didn't play Nautilus, I felt like the ones where I was contributing and being a, a uh, an effective player, I think Nautilus was definitely that. So um, I guess I do have to reconsider my position uh, a little bit. There's at least merit to it, right? It's not, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that's the only way, but there's definitely merit to the idea of picking a champion and and going with it did you have any deeper yeah, thoughts on that this is my this is my uh, i i definitely think that for folks like junki the t- pick a champion main it what be become a one trick or as close to a one trick as you possibly can be approach uh works really well right and i don't want to like discredit uh i don't want to discredit that my view has kind of almost always been that like this isn't a one-size-fits-all situation not every player is going to react the same and therefore, it will not be correct for every player to one trick. And the way that I always conceptualize this is like, okay, so you have people who walk into a game and they value comfort, like champion comfort. Um, and so that's when Junki picks his main Vi every single game. And he is so comfortable on the champion that even into a bad matchup, even into champions that counter him, he knows all of the ticks like tricks he knows like the matchup really well and all of these other kinds of things um and that gives him kind of like the boost in confidence and ability to win games right whereas a different person might value champion context which is the sense of i want to play a champion that is complementary to a team i want to play a champion that is strong into an opponent right and if you're the kind of person that like if you were to play into a losing matchup that gets in your head and you play worse and you lose because of it, right? It becomes valuable to have a wider champion fool um, that has more counter picks um, and the ability to kind of futz around with 
the different champions that you're using at any uh, any given time, right? At any individual moment. So, like, if I need to, you know, if I'm playing against a Zed, well, I know Lissandra is going to counter the shit out of Zed, so I pick Zed, right? So if I value context, that's how I play. If I value comfort, I just pick my main every every time. And I think the mistake is kind of saying that, like, oh, well, if you just play your main every time, that's the better way. People who play for context are fooling themselves, right? Um, and I also think the opposite would be true, right? If somebody was like, oh my god, you can't, like, counterpick. If somebody bans out your main champion, you're just gonna be, like, shitty, right? Like, how can you play, like... I think both of those approaches are kind of, like, wrong and inappropriate, and that the, the, the anatomy of players is so wide that they're going to need different approaches to winning, uh, to, like, winning the game outright. Yep. No, I, I, I think I think I mostly agree with that. Um, I, I, it's interesting because I, I think that definitely kind of like the OTP kind of mode is more doable in a uh, in in like when you're five manning, right? Because when you know exactly what you're going to exactly which role you're going to play, you can kind of hone in on uh, one or two champions for that role, right? Even you know. And, you know, maybe a cup, uh, a pocket pick if you need to. But I think that that kind of uh, environment um, lends itself more to, to that strategy. It, conversely, you need to be willing to to flex more in the solo queue, I would think. Um, not that I play a lot of solo queue at all. Um, just because you, you, everything's a lot less reliable in that context. Especially because you can do things like, you know, if, if, if you want somebody to, to focus on flexing... Um, they can go later in the pick order, even if you're arranged incorrectly. You know, mm-hmm. you can have, you can do the trades. Um, so I think, I, I think that's an interesting aspect to it too. That that, that pre-made five mans gives you a uh, a much stronger context to do the. Uh, uh, the 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 one tricking on does that see make sense? I think the, the okay. I think the pre made five mans actually have it it forces the sort of symbiotic nature between kind of like one tricking players and flexible players okay. right because like if you are a one trick it can be hard to get your champion every time because other people want to play that role right like and other people are going to ask you know, ask you to kind of, like, fill things out. I think in a solo queue environment, it makes more sense because you can reasonably guarantee your your role for most of the time, right? Team comp doesn't really matter all that much in solo queue compared to 5v5s, where I think the enhanced nature of coordination does make it matter more. And okay. so, like, a situation where, you know, you have... A situation where you have just like five eighty carries across the team, it's like, yeah, well, you know, maybe that team comp is not something you want to bring into kind of like a five v five situation. I also think that there's a certain amount, and this is going to be really uncharitable, and I'm really sorry for all my one trick fans out there. There's also a certain amount of kind of like like selfishness in a way that's kind of associated with it, right? Like the idea that like I'm going to play this role, or like I'm going to play one of two roles, right? Right. And you guys have to figure out where the rest of people go. And if everyone is kind of approaching that, then you're going to have a lot of situations where it's like, well, we have three junglers. That means someone's sitting out because nobody's going to like take one for the team and go into the mid lane or whatever, right? And the way that actually gets solved is for 
players who are more flexible to kind of say, oh, yeah, I don't mind going top this game, right? Or I don't mind playing such and such mid or something kind of along those uh, something kind of along those those lines. So, you know, I, I, I definitely think that there is something to that symbiosis that is that is powerful. I also find that, like, when you play a lot with one-trick players, you can, in a weird way, rely on them to, like, more. Like, for instance, when I am playing Yasuo, who is my most played champion, right, like, the champion I consider myself to be the very best on people play differently because they know how to play with my Yasuo compared to right. knowing how to play with, like, Ash or something, right, that I'm just kind of, like, doing off the cuff. Or even something that I'm good at, right? Like, Jin is an AD carry that I play a lot of. But, like, when, you, when you're playing a lot of a champion, when I know that Junki is going to be locking in something like Vi every game or something like Caitlyn every game, it allows, uh, it allows you as a sort of context-focused player to have a kind of, like, foundation to work off of, right? I know that Junki is going to go Caitlyn in the bottom lane, which means that I can make a, a solid decision based off of that information no matter what. Yeah, no, no, that, that that absolutely makes a ton of sense. I, I, I think I think you did highlight something also important there is, is that it is kind of like it's not really either or, right? Like th there is a playoff aspect because you know first picks all kind of have to make the contextless decision. So having some people that can like solidly pick a thing um, and know be confident on it without you know if they get counterpicked, you know th that it doesn't get into their head. I think that that's valuable as as well, right? Like the confidence to play here even to a bad matchup. Um, has its own benefits. Uh, so I definitely get that. Um, uh, the, the great thing, I, I, I think you're ultimately right, it's just kind of a, a hard thing to deal with, right? Because, like, I, don't know, I, I like to think of myself at least as... as in, I, I enjoy playing variety more than I just enjoy playing Nautilus over and over again. Um, mm. But there's a comfort in being able to play the, the, the character that I know I'm decent with, right? Um, uh, uh, and... And I, I think that, like, there's, there's there's this weirdness where, like, I feel like most people, even if they're not OTPs per se, right, like, there's still a champion they're going to go sorry, back to. What are you, are you keep saying OTP? Do you one mean, Trick Pony. Oh, One Trick Pony. Yeah. Oh, my God. What was I thinking? OT, oh, what is an OTP? Uh... I what true pairing? I was thinking. I was thinking, oh, like, why is Mango making like shipping references in this fucking podcast? Oh yes. Oh my own. I'm an idiot. I'm yeah, so stupid. Yeah, I OTP me, me and Junki. Buddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're apparently in the bottom lane. It's me and X, which is funny. But um, but yeah, one trick pony. Um. Oh, what was I gonna say about that? Uh, yeah. So so um. I feel like everybody still has that comfort champion that they go back to, or like the, the champion that if all else being equal, they pick, right? Like, I don't think anybody's mm -hmm. truly free floating. It might even be like a smaller pull, might not be one exactly, but I think everybody's, uh, you know, I don't think anybody's, I feel, I feel like it's a sliding scale, right? Yeah. Um, if that makes sense, yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, like, I think there are some pl players that have, like, no true main, for instance, right, on, like, oh, the far end of the spectrum. And there are some players that, like, literally can only play one thing 
and be good on it, right? Right. Um, yeah, yeah. And everybody falls in the middle somewhere, right? Like Junki is closer to one side, you and I are closer to the other, sort of thing, right? But like at the end of the day, right? Like you have Nautilus, I have Yasuo, and even if we take, you know, like I feel like I can play a variety of roles more so than some of our other friends, um, even some of our other friends who are like much better than us, right? So like Charles in the jungle, for instance, is much better than my jungle or whatever, or even me on like mid or AD carry, uh, but him on an off roll like top or mid is going to be so much worse than me on an off roll like you know jungle or support or something kind of along those lines and so there's also a little bit of like that aspect to it right where you're kind of like looking at the high highs and the low lows and trying to like balance out a comp and play with your friends right like at the same time i mean like that fun factor is a real it's like a real concern right Right. like this is kind of the, like, it's an uncharitable thing that the argument kind of devolves into sometimes, which I think is a little unfair. But, like, the, there's this idea that, like, you know, oh, if you just want to dick around, that's fine, right? But, like, if you want to climb, you'll you'll do this or that or whatever. And I don't think that that is the case um, uh, or fair or anything. Um, but uh, the implication that, like, the only way to have fun in League of Legends is by, like, cri- climbing ranks in a way, is I also think, uh, like, mis- misguided. Yeah, this is, this is right? a good way like, to I feel like a, I am a player that is very motivated by mastery, right? Like, I want to get S's so I can get my tokens so I can get Mastery 7, right? Like, I was hard spamming Trist games, and then I got Mastery 7 on Trist, and I don't know that I have played her since on my main account, right? Um, and even, and I would say that Trist is probably my best AD carry at the moment, but, like, that is that is part of what motivates my uh, like my desire to play right like I want to get more mastery seven on more different champions because I just like a lot of champions and I want to like play them as much as I can kind of a thing. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. That makes that that makes a, a, a ton of sense. I also think that there's this kind of like there's this like uh, the the uh, the right people released like a series of videos on like the. On, on the types of tilt, right? And I definitely think that there's like the, uh, what's what's the, the there's the one you know, you know curse to always to, to you know not win your first game of the day until three in the morning, um, like I think that that's like a, a real kind of like thing like you know that's a real type of burnout, right? That you just you 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 want to climb as you keep playing even past the point where you're having fun. And at the end of the day, this is a game, right? Like with very few exceptions, n- we're not doing this professionally, um, and you know none of us are, right? Like n- none of us, yeah, they, yeah. So, but like, uh, you know, there, there are, you know, with very few exceptions, the player base isn't doing this professionally, um, and so killing yourself and, and and burning yourself out is, I think, a, a, a real danger, especially when you're playing with your friends. I think this is actually kind of what killed us the first time around, right? Like we were playing mostly for achievement, and at some point, it just stopped being fun. Um, uh, and you know, there, I think there's some 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 individual dials to, to twiddle there and, uh, now and then. But um, even in this kind of like atmosphere of, of us climbing w- where we have been this season, it hasn't been nearly as bad as it was before. There's more yeah. willingness to kind of put stuff aside. I think I think kind of like you know the 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 lower end of us players right are more willing to kind of like be like, well, you know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't. I, I have to give great credit to. I don't know if we should be admitting this, but like uh, to, to the higher end players who are willing to jump on uh, alternate accounts, let's say, to to kind of play around and like be willing to to work with the team rather than just being concerned with their own kind of progress. I think it overall has been healthy for our group, and I think that's a thing that's important to 
project outwards, right? Like that. Um, at the end of the day, you're playing a game with your friends, <laughs> and it's and you know there's only so much you get by 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 climbing the ladders for for the vast majority of people. I'd say for like ninety. Yeah, I, I also think that we approach climbing the ladder in a more healthy way um than than we used to like part of my own like one of the interesting things about me coming back to league of legends is that i learned a lot of from playing other games particularly hearthstone um one of the things that you learn about hearthstone when you're when even when people are like talking about climbing in the ladder and stuff like that and hearthstone makes this very easy because of like the very easy readability of the hearthstone ladder right there are a certain number of ranks between you and legend right and every rank you gain a star and every and or every win you gain a star every loss you lose a star right so all you need to do is have more wins than losses and you will climb right whereas league of legends is much more esoteric in the how this way this stuff builds but the way that people talk about you know the way that people talk about climbing the the ranked ladder in hearthstone is that it is a game of big numbers and averages you don't need to have a 75% win rate. You need to have a 50% win rate over a large number of, or like a 51% win rate over a large number of games. Do you know what I mean? And that like not thinking through, you know, like there's a certain amount of thinking that like every single loss is a win that you threw, if that makes sense. Um, and this speaks a little bit to, like, the RNG, I guess, in Hearthstone or whatever. But, like, there's just some games in Hearthstone where it's like, look, they had the best opener possible. You were going to lose that game 100% of the time. Don't worry about it. Don't let that get under your skin. Move on to the next one. Play the numbers, right? Um, and in League of Legends, there's this idea that, like, every single game is a win that you threw. And that just, like, is a really brutal, tilt-inducing thing, right? right? Like, after, after a game, there's this impetus to kind of be like, you know what? What went wrong? Why, why couldn't we make that work? What were our mistakes? And I think a certain amount of that self-reflection is very important in order to just, like, be better and to, like, consider factors or whatever. Like, oh, you know, like, they had an extra level in us in lane or I didn't really respect the this ability or the that ability. But I think sometimes it is honestly just, like, apt to say they outplayed us. Let's, like, let's like move on and play the numbers. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, I, I think part of that, too, like, just to point to the Hearthstone thing is so – similar in mtga right is when you uh, when you play like uh, games that are one-on-one -on -one, like like hearthstone or mtga or even like a fighting game right um you can't blame your team and so doing enough of that i think um gives you the wisdom to kind of uh to, to recognize when you're at fault for a loss right like I, th I think especially especially in our earlier days it was very easy to be like well this that was your fault and it wasn't my fault oh yeah 100 percent. I, I used to do that kind of thing all the time um and I think that was a really toxic, you know, like, I think that was a really toxic thing for me to do. Yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, even even when, even when it is somebody's fault, we are less less uh, prone to, to, to jump on that person and be like, fuck you, you did this wrong, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a certain, we, we've developed an ability to kind of, like, talk about some of this stuff without a judgment attached, which is, like, honestly, like, the, no, the number one skill that I think every person on the planet would see their life improve is to be able to criticize someone without judgment or blame right like you talk about like talking about things in terms like you know for instance this champion probably wasn't the right one for the the situation and that's what got the loss is not necessarily saying you 
Mango fucked up by playing this champion, you right, piece right. of shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the, and, and it allows people to kind of say, like, yeah, you know what? I probably shouldn't have played fucking, like, Yasuo into this other sort of thing. And they really, like, you know, they, they, they shut me down without kind of, like, feeling like you are, um, uh, I don't know, just, like, feeling like you are accepting a certain amount of, like, humiliation, right? Yeah, it, when, when, you, when you are judgmental against people, they get defensive and they want to fight back. And they want to say, like, no, fuck you, it was your fault. Like, you didn't come mid lane to help me out or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, th- this, is, this is, like, this is in some ways, like, conflict resolution 101. It's, like, it's honestly, it's, like, it's like you know, police interrogations, right? Like, you know, give them an out, make them feel sympathized with, and they'll, you know, they'll admit to the the things that they did wrong, right? Not not that you know, yeah. losing a League of Legends game is like a murder, but it's just, it's the shades of the same kind of technique, right? Um, and it, you know, as not that we're qualified to give life advice on this podcast, but, not that know. we're perfect at implementing this advice. Oh right? yeah, like, there have yeah. definitely been times where I've gotten tilted and I've taken it out on other people, right? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think, I think. Like, kind of in that same kind of vein, part of this, too, is, like, willing to look at, like, a failure and, like, realize that it's not the whole thing thrown away, right? Like, even even if you if, if you fail in the game individually or if you fail on implementing this kind of, like, charitability strategy, right? Like, that doesn't mean you're a garbage human and you shouldn't play League anymore, right? That means that, like, you try better next time and, you know, having a group of people that's willing to be patient with each other, um, at least for a little while. Uh, is important, and when that fails, knowing when to walk away from the computer, I think, is is a very important skill. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, in a certain sense, a return to WoW rating also helped me through that in a way because, like, there's this ability to be like iterative, if that makes sense. That that's really helpful. Like, one of the things that beat you down almost in a way is like the that sense of like every game is a win that you threw, right? Um, but there's also the sort of flip side of it, which is like you you solve small problems and get better as you iterate on them and that feels like a step forward rather than a step back so even though you're failing you're still getting farther and farther and this is very easy to accomplish in a wow raid right because like you are you do the boss the first time you're learning mechanics you get you know to 86% to 70% to 50% or whatever and that progress that you make is like okay cool we're getting there we're getting there right like we're learning more and more right and like the 1% wipes those still suck or whatever right but like that iteration of like next pull we'll do this differently next pull we'll do this differently um i think all of that stuff is uh is just as applicable to kind of like these coordinated matches of league of legends as it is to right like you know pve rating as shara right 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 no absolutely um yeah i think kind of like the, the focus on like what little things that you can do better, I think, is, is, is valuable, right? Like, um, I think there's a sense that, like, and then this goes back to kind of like this blaming game thing we're talking about. There's a sense to think of kind of the match holistically, um, which is valuable in its own way, but the ability to kind of, like, think about your own performance individually and how you can make that a little bit better, I think, is valuable in a way that players don't really realize, right? Like, and this goes back to kind of like the, you know, accepting blame for your own actions type of uh, piece of this, Um which is essentially, you know, I I recognize what I did wrong in this game, and this is how I can do it better next time, right? Like I was, you know, you know, for for me with Nautilus, right? Like it's like I need to recognize when I can throw when, when it's right for me to throw hooks and when it's not right for me to throw hooks. Um, getting better at like the warding game, right? Like getting vision up in the right places, understanding when to build what, and adapting properly, and not just going down the same old build line every time. That type of thing. 
Um, uh, and, you know, that, that is something I think that comes, that can only come with kind of uh, OTP style play is like the, 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 the fine refinement on individual characters and individual roles, right? Like a big thing for me was, um, you know, since we came back, I've been playing a lot of Pike as well as Nautilus, but like, um, it's basically when I, so for the folks at home, I did the first part of my climb basically with um, a handful of guys that were all around like this kind of lower ELO for the, for the last part of the climb, I was basically the, the lower level guy in, in a higher group of ELO people. But um, for this particular round um, uh, or for the first set, um, it was a matter of knowing that, okay, you know, the, uh, the person I was going bot with X plays a little bit more conservatively Right, and so playing Pike is probably not the right decision there, right? Um, and so I decided to go with Nautilus, who's a little bit tankier, got a little bit more survivability. And the kind of the 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 ebb and flow with that is is he also picked Siver, which is a character he could be a little bit more aggressive on and still feel safe with, right? Because it's got it's, it's got some uh, escape tools that um, that uh, the other characters uh, don't. And so I think that kind of like small iteration and working with your teammates um, helps. Um, especially, especially in the five man kind of, uh, context, right? Like I, I think, I think that honestly, I want to say that the five man context is, is very valuable for kind of like that small iteration that you just can't get in the two or three man, uh, context. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a certain sense that like solo queue, is like the pure iteration or like not iteration, but like the pure measure of a man's skill, right? Like you aren't getting carried. You're not whatever. It's just you versus the ladder. And you know, if you can get plat, that means you are plat, right? Um, whereas like, there's this sort of sense, there's this like lingering, I like aura of kind of like doubt or skepticism towards saying anything else, uh, along, you know, like saying, if I were to say, I am Golden Flex, it would be really easy for somebody to say, yeah, well, you just got carried there by our diamond friend Daniel, right? Do you know what I mean? Whereas, like, in solo queue, that's not really the case. Like, even if I could duo with Daniel on Smurfs, which happens all the time or whatever, there's this implication that, like, oh, my solo queue rating is my real true skill as a player. Um, and I even think some of our friends will, like, kind of, like, buy into this a little bit. But the... The more I play both modes, the more it becomes clear to me that just solo queue is a different beast than com communication and coordinated play in, like, a 5v5 flex, right? And that, like, your ability to be good at, you know, your role and communicating and helping your other the other players around the map and, like, team fighting and stuff like that. Like, these are real skills that can carry you in a flex queue, but they can't carry you in solo queue. And so by kind of assuming that one of these has a kind of primacy over the others, it's kind of, like, unintentionally, implicitly weighting certain skills in such a way that, like you're kind of missing the forest for the trees, right? Like, I think I'm probably a better player in flex than I am in solo queue. And I don't think that makes me worse than someone who is a better player in solo queue and worse in flex. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I, I think I, I I agree with that. I also think the inverse is true, right? Like, I, I, like I, I don't mean to elevate the... Uh... The, the person who's better in, in flex over the person who's better in solo queue. I, I just think it's they're, they're, they're different things and they're different kind of skills and they're different types of fun in some cases. Um, 
but I do think if you if you are looking to just kind of like hone the edge on one particular thing, that the flexing is is, is better for that, just because definitely you have you're going to have more consistency. Um, but yeah, um, huh? I wonder I wonder if you've got any thoughts on like just general like general tips for like play patterns in in uh in in kind of the the lower levels, right? Because I, I oh interesting. Um, hmm. I I don't have a ton of. I don't know how much my insight is valuable, right? I, I am not. I am not the highest elo player, as we've described. What What are the things that you think were helpful towards getting you to, um, like getting you to silver, right? Like, let's assume that a certain subset of decisions and mindset and all, like, what What are those things that like got you there outside of just like I'm a silver level player and I just you know got I like I ranked into silver, right? Do you think yeah. that there were such, you know, such things? Um, I th- so th- this is, I think, a, a, a thing that sometimes gets forgotten, like in in the general case. But like a focus on objectives, I think, right? Like taking just focusing on taking dragons and taking um, other kind of uh, objectives, like maybe the Rift Herald, like uh, uh, the Baron when it's appropriate, and and towers, right? Like I think it's very easy to fall into the the kind of clown fiesta nature of you know, uh, you know, it's the the game, the team who has the most kills wins, and that's definitely highly correlated. But it's not strictly true, right? And also, getting those objectives helps you win those team fights. I can't tell you the number of times that, like, um, beyond even champion scaling, right? Like, you know, having like three infernals, right? Like, um, lets you turn around team fights that you were previously losing, stuff like that. Um, and I think that that's a thing that, that especially in the lower leagues, that, that can get overlooked a lot. Is, 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 is Yeah, I mean, the interesting control. thing about, about that that I've been thinking about more and more um, recently is the way that what dragons are we have affects my priorities and decision-making. Which is, by the way, the reason that I would kind of highlight and say, you know, dra- like... The the random dragon system that they have now is good because, like, it changes my play pattern from game to game, right? When I have an Infernal Drake, I think about fighting the enemy team as a bigger priority, right? Like, I feel like, oh, we have this advantage on the enemy team. Let's fight the enemy team. When I have an Earth Drake, I'm like, oh, we should prioritize dragon, barons, towers, right? Like, that is what we are good at. When we have uh, a wind drake, it's about, like, moving throughout the map and, like, engaging and disengaging because you have the ability to kind of, like, out-rotate the enemy team or whatever. And so, like, the way that those objectives frame my decision-making, I think, is the most kind of, like, interesting and kind of complex feature that they give to us. Do you know what I mean? You know, that, that's interesting because, like, that's, like, I think that's, like, you know, a level beyond where I'm at right now, right? Like, that's, like, I think the, the logical next step, right? Because, like, I, I think this is honestly probably the, the a good illustration of, like, what the difference is between, like, that and the levels of play, right? Like, I'm thinking about just, like, making sure to prioritize those objectives over getting kills, right? Like, um, and you're thinking about how to then apply them. Um, and I, I've kind of got that in a little bit of a general sense, but I haven't been thinking about them so specifically, right? Um, just about kind of, like, you know, well, you need to, like, um, I think one of the key insights kind of at, at the lower level is that getting a dragon isn't just powering you up in that way. It's denying that power to somebody else, right? The difference between you having two Infernals and you and your opponent having, uh, 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 each having an Infernal is, is, is two steps, right? Like, it's not just one. And I think mm. it's easy to kind of, like, lose that in, in, in the fright. Um, 
uh, I think part of that too is just like is 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 uh, not only being aware of that, but having a, a jungler that's that's aware of that, which I think we've been we've been well blessed with with junglers who who are good at prioritizing that kind of thing. But I think that's also a thing for a lower level a lower level jungler maybe needs to be taught. So if you're a jungler out there, I think that's maybe a thing to to think about is learn how to prioritize those objectives better. Um, honestly, it might even be a thing where like. Maybe that's uh, an argument for, for trying to pick up a champion that can solo those objectives since if you're playing a lot of solo queues since you can't um, necessarily know that your team's going to have this, the, the same kind of priorities as you. Does that make sense to you? I mean, I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that, I, I, I see what you're getting at. That makes that makes a certain amount of sense. I've, I've gotten a little bit back and forth with this because on one hand, Charles, who is, I would say, the best uh, jungler that we play with, has a very gank-heavy focus, right? Like, his philosophy is that ganking early and often as a jungler is the very best thing that you can do in order to win uh, In order to win games, right? Whereas uh, our friend Junki is all about dragons and towers and Rift Herald, right? Like, his philosophy is very much that, like, the best way to kind of like win these games is to get you know every single dragon that comes up right like I'm, I'm looking at the game that they are currently playing as we record this podcast juki is jungling they have taken every single dragon in the game all six of them <laughs> three earths two two oceans and one fire dragon and that like makes a lot of sense for juki and i think that that is offering his team a lot of power especially because this is a 35 minute game and it's going late therefore right like you know the the uh the power of those dragons is going to be like really useful um but like i'm i i've i am a little bit doubtful of saying it's it's, it's the same sort of thing as with like the the different styles versus like right. ranked context uh or champion focus right like i think there is Something to be said for ganking style junglers who are going to affect the game a lot and who you can call into your lane, right? I love playing with Charles because when I make a call and I say, hey, Charles, come mid, he understands that that's a good idea and he's going to come mid and help me snowball the lane, right? Um, but I also enjoy playing with Juki because I know that, you know, once or twice during the laning phase, I'm going to get a big dragon buff and I'm going to be like, oh, nice. Like, I just got an earth dragon, which means I'm going to get plates or I just got, you know... Uh, an ocean drake which means that i can poke and sustain better so like that stuff is uh really effective and really useful and so in and in that way i I guess i'm i'm sort of saying that like maybe the best way to approach it is kind of like how do how does your decision making get affected by the people by the decision making of the people around you do you know what i mean i play differently than i when i play with charles and when i play with junki because i respect their play styles and their strengths and weaknesses and i think that there is a kind of compliment uh that i can create with both of them yeah no i i think that's absolutely fair i think i think i think part of what you know that's definitely true but i think part of it is um, I think something that's important to, to kind of understand is how much trust you have in your team. And I think, unfortunately, the reality is, is when you're playing with randos, the, the trust is inherently going to be lower. It's hard to trust somebody you don't know, especially somebody that you can't communicate with instantaneously over voice. Um, and I think that the the kind of more dragon objective focused is, is an inherently more soloable type of thing. And I know that Junki plays a lot of solo queue, so maybe that's part of it. Or maybe you just have more trust in your teammates when you're in the higher elos. You know, I have never been there, so I wouldn't know. 
Um, but I think that that's that's I think an important part of this. I think that's an important part of this. You too, know, right? I, I, I think an interesting teammates. kind of like corollary to that is uh, I've definitely seen myself trust random players more than I trust my own friends sometimes. Like when I play one game with a rando, I don't have like the baggage of all the times that person has made me loss. Right. Like, right. That's when right. I when I when I think of I don't know when I think of. I don't want to. I don't want to call anybody out. When I think of something that like a friend of mine does, where he like regularly screws up, that like that colors my impression of him a little bit. Whereas like if the rando goes four and zero in lane, you're like, wow, this guy's like really good. Well, you don't see all the other games where he like fucking feeds his ass off. You only right. are seeing the the laning phase he has here and and now. And in a certain sense, like. I, I see. I've seen it kind of like go. Uh, I've, se- I've seen it kind of go both ways. I agree with you, and I think trust is insanely important. This is part of the philosophy that underlies, right? Like follow the call that you don't agree with, kind of thing. Because five people making the same decision is better than two people making two different decisions, um, or five people making five different decisions for that matter. Um, but like, it can be hard to keep up that level of trust, uh, especially if like you start. There's almost like a superiority thing that comes into it sometimes, right? Where like you conceptualize some of your friends as being worse than you or bad on this champion or that champion or like, oh my god, he's playing X, Y, or Z. Fucking, you know, but he's playing Bard. That means that we're going to lose because he's just going to like troll or whatever. Um, And, you know, that kind of thing might be accurate in some instances, but it might also be detrimental to the team because you're kind of like expecting failure. Therefore, like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah especially especially like i mean i think there there are some strategies that are less vulnerable to it but like anytime you're playing like say an all-in support right if you don't trust if the the adc and the support don't trust each other and don't follow up on each other then then you're kind of fucked right yeah. like um and there's no getting there, there's no getting around that you have to be able to to work within those those parameters um honestly that's kind of why like uh initially i i didn't like laning with certain people um, uh, initially while I was doing this climb because we didn't have that trust there and it was, uh, and it made playing the supports like I like to play harder to do. Um, but you know, there's two ways to do that. You either change your champion or you change your, uh, you change your levels of trust. And I managed to do the second, which I think is, you know, superior for a variety of reasons, but it's still, it's still a, a way to go. Um, I, you, like, I think that it's hard, like solo queue, I think, you, you can't rely on anybody in solo queue to have like you can rely on them to be around your level of elo but you can't rely on them to be around your level of positivity slash toxicity if that makes sense right and so yeah, for it, sure um and like that that's like a thing that you can like they, they i think there are steps towards that with the honor system but i think it's just hard it's, it's like a hard thing to measure it's a hard thing to anticipate for so um i think uh it's, it's it's an interesting problem to try and play around, right? Like, huh. yeah, I definitely agree with you, and I think that it's hard because like it preys on some of the worst instincts among players to like, you know, like solo queue does bring out a certain amount of like toxicity from people because like nobody speaks up about a good play, but like people will flame you for a bad play in a way, right? Um. And that's not strictly speaking true, right? And I, you know, this is something I very consciously try and avoid as a player, right? Like, I am, uh, I'm always concerned with keeping the, the, 
keeping the positivity of the team high. Like, I actually played a solo duo game, uh, like a game of solo queue, where I played Yasuo by main, and I just, like, fed my ass off, right? And there were people in the chat who were, like, flaming me about it, um, which, you know, which sucked, and it made me feel shitty or whatever, but I never actually, like, gave in to, like, the, the, desi the desire I had to, like, fight back and to say, like, whatever. I just kind of said, yeah, I'm sorry that I'm playing shitty, you guys, thanks for, you know, carrying me or whatever else. And it kind of like, <clears throat> and that like forced positivity was an effective way for me to get to the other side of the toxicity and end up winning that game, right? Because even Yasuo, who is, I think I was like 12 and 19 at the end of that game. <laughs> like I died 19 times. Even Yasuo, who is 12 and 19, can like, you know, make things happen with Windwall and with like knock-up plays and, and shit like that. And so, um, <clears throat> I don't know. I feel like there is, I, th I feel like there's a lot of value to positive mindset and the mental aspect uh walking into like walking into the game and even outside of some of these other sort of factors right like walking into a game with a really strong mindset is useful in a way that um it might be i don't know it might be hard to like quantify how how much that matters right you know like i can look at the stats page on my ranked whatever and it says oh you're a you know you're an s minus yasuo player look at your yasuo play or whatever it is right like you're an a plus tristana player look at your tristana stats or whatever but you can never like measure stats of like you know you can never like measure stats of how positive you were in the game do you know what i mean yeah yeah, kind of on this note, how do you feel about um about like all mute or like mute all or whatever the function is now called? I mute all chat, uh, yeah. which is honestly just like sort of an adult decision in my own sort of like at at a certain point I uh, let me put it this way I used to think that it didn't bother me, but that was just like a lie. <laughs> it's what it was. It's, it's, that was a lie. Uh, it definitely did bother me when people would get on my case and it would make me play worse and it would put me on tilt. And before I would have like come back at anybody who's like, oh, you should mute all chat. It's like, I don't need to mute all chat. I'm, I'm strong enough. I'm resilient enough. And now I don't really mind admitting that, yeah, like I will get fucking tilted if like I, you know, I lose a 1v1 against someone and they say, lol what or something like that that'll just fucking like piss me off right um do you 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 yeah. mute your teammates no i don't i don't mute my teammates very often okay um i i do think i i, I think uh, uh in a, that's mostly uh that's mostly just, i don't play very much solo queue so yeah, i probably fair. should mute my teammates i don't mute my teammates a blanket because we play so much in a group and i don't want to mute you know any of our friends obviously because like you know, even when people are mad and maybe they, they will flame us or something kind of along those lines. Like, I wouldn't mute anybody. Um, but, uh, but yeah, in solo queue, I probably should, like, mute ally chat. Do you think, do you think that's valuable? I don't know. Like, I feel like, I feel like I'm, I am, you know, mute all chat if you feel like it helps you. I like keeping all chat open, but that's because I like, I like, you know, live, like, I value the kind of, like, humor more than I do. Like, I, I am less tiltable i think i don't know why um by by just that not you know just ways to tilt me of course but mm -hmm. um but i i am less i'm more hesitant to 
Um, like, there's some people who say you should just, like, mute everybody at, at the moment the game starts, you know, just only communicate by pings, and they'll save you a lot of heartache down the road. Um, I feel like I'm a little bit more hesitant to that. I just feel like my gut reaction would be, like, don't mute your teammates until they show you that they need to be muted. Um, and maybe that's a little bit dangerous, but I, I, I don't know. I feel like the the, the kind of positivity thing is, is, is a little bit more necessary. And maybe, maybe that's just, like, a thing where... If you're playing a solo lane, maybe it's a little bit less necessary, but I don't know. I, I just I just feel like that's like I feel like it's I feel like cutting off all communication with your teammates is like a weird way to play a a, uh, a multiplayer game. But you know, I'm, I'm not sure. What, what do you think? What do I think? Do yeah, I mean, it's so. about it's about understanding yourself. Like, I also think that different people get tilted for different reasons, and it's That's important fair. to be self-aware about that. I don't really get tilted from winning or losing. What tilts me is my own performance, right? If I'm feeding, I get pissed, and I feel like shit, and I get angry. If I'm doing well, even if we lose the game, I still feel pretty good. Um, and so there's a bit of, you know... There's a bit of that that goes into that goes into sort of how these things are like mitigated in my head. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's absolutely fair. Huh? Interesting. Interesting. How much do you think? Uh, like, you don't have. Okay, let's say on the current patch, on a tier list, there's got to be like a what's a champion tier list. Uh... Are you asking like about like how I feel about 17. playing low tier low tier champions? Uh, so here's here's my here's my thought, right? Like, what are your like? If I look at a thing on MobaChampion.com, right? God tier top laners are Urgot, Yorick, Singed, Rumble, Garen, and Kled. You play Singed or sorry, Swain top. Where is Swain? Where's the yeah, If I'm playing top, he's I'm not even playing Swain on top. Thing. He's not even in this list. Um. But like so, for instance, I play a lot of Orn top, and Orn is just averaged here or whatever, right? Like, do you how much weight do you put into playing like strong champions when they're strong versus? Um, so I think there's a couple things there. First of all, I think that especially like anything silver and below, maybe even golden below, but I don't have experience here, so you can tell me if I'm wrong. I think that tiers matter less than people want to make them out to be. Um, okay. I think there's also kind of like a value in playing with things that you like. Right, like, um, your ability to execute on a champion that you are comfortable with and you like is going to be a bigger difference in most cases than the indi- than the individual relative strength of um, champions, kind of compared against themselves. Right, like, I, like I don't mean in a like matchup. I think there's 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 important factors there, but I think uh, a champion like. Any champion compared against any other champion on your own side, I think that your comfort's going to be a more dominating factor. Um, right, so the god-tier supports right now are Zyra, Velka, Zillion, Janna, and Leona, with Pike and Nautilus in the great tier, which is like one tier below. You don't feel any, like, impulse to be like, oh, I'm going to start playing fucking Velkaz because he's so good right now. Uh, no, absolutely not, um... I think that they like this. This 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 is funny because this is like a this is a classic fighting games thing, right? Like, um, do you, do you just pick a high tier champion or do you try and uh, try and like win it, sweat it out with your with your low tier champion and hope for buffs, right? Um, I think that, huh? How do I feel about this? I I, I think that um, 
you like I said, if if you like if you jam with a particular champion for whatever reason, I think that that's going to be more valuable, right? Like, 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 sure. If my, if, you know, let's say like Nautilus was really weak, this patch and Pike was really strong. Maybe then I favor Pike over Nautilus. Right. Um, but if, if it's like a champion, I don't play. Right. Unless, unless there's like something like, it's like truly dog, dog crap tier. Right. Like, um, dark shit here we, we can curse on this podcast um uh, then i don't think i'm gonna make that move off like again because like you know first and foremost i don't think it matters that much at low elo um uh i do think like if i but i do think this is also kind of like a different stroke for different folks type of thing right like if it makes you more confident to play a high tier champion go ahead and play the high tier champion right like um I, I think I think your confidence in yourself is is a big part of it, right? And I know I'm confident on Nautilus, um, and and that holds even if he's a lower tier. But if 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 the if the tiering or if like the perceived tiering or nerfs and buffs make you feel differently, right? Like, um, you know, uh, friend of the cast Monik who hasn't been able to play with us super recently, um, has been bemoaning the fact that his favorite champion Akali has gotten nerfed. And I've pointed out, well, this is great. Maybe she won't be banned as much anymore, right? But I feel like the way that Monik plays, the way that Monik, like maybe that's a bigger deal for him than it would be for me. So maybe it's his, his, his the right thing for him is to pick a different champion and try and explore that space, right? And I I don't think anyone's necessarily more valid than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think I feel like a lot of these answers come down to like you know oh it's different for different people, right? Like uh, which I know isn't super helpful advice, but I think it's I think it's worth thinking about. I'm trying. Um, to, yeah, I am also thinking about it and trying to like. I'm trying. I'm, I'm almost like um, internally. I don't know. Considering, I'm trying to figure out how I feel about it, and it's not an easy thing for me to. Uh, it's not an easy thing for me to answer because, like, uh, that is a compelling argument. The idea that, like, if I were to tell someone who's just playing this champion because they're strong right now. It's like, oh, I kind of think that's a mistake or whatever, but, like, who am I to sort of say that? Um, but I think there is something to be said for, you know, having a certain amount of, like, champion mastery on on the champions that you play. Like, I, I think I, I think I am... Let me, let me put it this way. I think I am willing to allow someone to pick up a champion and kind of, like, add it to their list. This happened with Charles and Leona, right? Leona got some buffs. Charles... Charles picked up Leona as a support. We played a couple of normals before bringing it into, like, bringing it into ranked. And I think that that's always, like, kind of the appropriate thing. Juki will say you need 50 games on a champion in order to bring them into ranked. That seems a little ridiculous to me, if being perfectly honest. Um, but, like, you definitely need some champions. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's something I pay a lot of attention to. Yeah, I think that that's fair. Um... Yeah, I also think that there's like uh I also think that there's maybe some some I think that there's a, a, a tendency on the on on the the player base has a tendency to view disparities in relative power between champions as larger than they really are. Right? Mm-hmm. Like you know, Leona being S tier and Nautilus being, you know, A tier doesn't necessarily mean that like leona beats nautilus every time right 
beyond even yeah. individual matchup question. Doesn't mean that Leona is a better pick than Nautilus every time. It's just that right? on the this is this is kind of like the Hearthstone thinking, yeah. right? It's that like the, these are small pieces of tech that you add not to win you every game, but like in this one specific matchup when you can draw it, this card really kills the like the enemy deck or something like that and like it's not about adding 20 to your win percentage it's just about adding like one and right. that's what and that's what kind of like matters um and i think that that's a real thing um for sure there are definitely oh. times when i get blown out of the water by champions that are like really meta like when lux support and i think lux support is still pretty meta um was like a thing i have i have definitely seen people who play lux and i'm just like i'm going to farm this lux for thousands of gold right and i've also seen situations where i'm like oh my god this fucking champion is so broken right you know um and uh and it's a mistake to kind of look at either of those two things and see uh and see something like consistent rather than seeing like a probabilistic range that's how i think about a lot of these games um which is more credit to kind of like how hearthstone has affected my thinking i am never like I am never looking at something as a sure thing or a sure, a sure thing one way or another, right? I am always looking at it in terms of probabilities, right? Like, we surrendered a game earlier today where we got, like, pretty stomped. Um, and even though top lane was doing all right, basically everybody else is kind of getting, like, wrecked uh, by Thanks, this. buddy. I'm I so was well, playing I mean, top that game, yeah. Um, oh, you were playing top that game? That was the I game that was playing. playing. That was the game that Chuki jumped in afterwards to tell me it wasn't my fault that we lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> no, I mean, it literally wasn't your fault, right? Like, yeah, yeah. it was the fault of the bottom lane who let the enemy uh, Zaya go 10-0 and 0 and also the Katarina went 14-3 and 3 or whatever, right? The, the surrender vote was not to say there is no way we win this game, right? And it's never to kind of make a, you know, like, it's never to kind of, like, make a call that's, like, 100% one or the other. It's just about probabilities. It's like, at that point, yeah. if our chance of losing is 85%, maybe I don't want to fucking, like, try and roll the nat 6 on a d6, right? Like, maybe we just fucking, like, move to the next one and not worry about it kind of a thing. Um, yeah. And that happens inside of a game, too, right? Like, I will be thinking about, like... Like, so, for instance, something that happened earlier, and I was kind of wrong for this. Josh came in and we fought that Zaya who's doing really well. And the Rakan showed up, and they killed the two of us, right? Because they were much more powerful than us. I kind of gave Josh shit for it, but the truth is, Josh wasn't really wrong. Based on the information we had at the time, there was probably a greater than 50% chance that we could have killed the Zaya. If it was just 2v1, we probably would have been able to ki- to, to kill her. Um, the problem was, is that it the 50% was not in our favor. Like, we did not get the role. The Rakan was there. And he turned the tide against us. And that sucks, obviously. Um, but, like, it doesn't make the play wrong. It doesn't make the idea of going in for it wrong. And sometimes you kind of need to just sort of, like, especially when you're behind. Like, we've talked about this before. But something that I firmly believe is the case is that, like, if you are behind in a game, you sometimes need to take bad odds because the ups you need to, it's, you need to play more risky, right? Yeah. It's like in, um, in Texas Hold'em or in, like, poker. I was playing poker on the plane when I came back from Boston last night, which is what makes me think of it. When you are low on chips, you need to play very aggressive, and your play style becomes very high-risk, high-reward, because the ability for you to come back in a game by, like, catching someone out um, and, get you know, taking taking the 25% 
play and hitting it and like getting a team fight win off of something like that that can be a huge gold swing that gets you back in the game um and i think that that's not something that, that is respected enough like maybe some of the most frustrating games to lose are the games where you just slowly bleed out because you never actually make a real chance like play to get back into the game you're so focused on not losing that you never win that you never get back into winning does that make sense yeah no i actually think i think that's like super important i, I do think that there's like a big tendency to like when you start losing to make the safe play. And I think that, you know, don't throw your life away, but I definitely think that you're right, that you do need to kind of, like, make decisive decisions and, like, act on bad, like, on incomplete information and hope that you've hit the right side of things because that's the only, like, you know, in and, you know, kind of... If a team starts winning, you know, in general, they should keep winning but for mistakes they make, and so you have to capitalize on mistakes that get made, right? Like... And that's like I think the only way that uh, that that you can is by taking is by taking those risks, um, pushing on somebody that's maybe overextended, even if it turns out that they they were planning it the whole time. I, like you, you you kind of have to. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, even I even even saying it like that actually makes me a little like that. Sort of falls into the same camp of um, you know. Uh, the, you're, you every game is a win that you threw in a way like the only reason you won is because they made a mistake like i think that doesn't give enough credit to people for making good strong plays sure. in a way um and uh and maybe that's like an unfair sort of like read of the situation i'm very i'm very aware of that of that tendency um because i think it's you know it's shitty and it feels bad um and so there's a certain amount of <sighs> There's a certain amount of, like, the gears in my head read some of these, like, negatively tinged things um, and wants to push back on them in order to help, like, I don't know, make people feel good no, about their own I, I think that's fair. I, I think maybe, maybe instead of it's, 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 you know, catch them in a mistake, it's catch them in a place where you're strong and they're not. Um, and that's – it's. Those opportunities are fewer and farther between the farther behind you are. And so you have to take places where they look like they're weaker than you, even though they might not be weaker than you. Mistake is maybe the, the wrong way to put it, because you're right. There yeah. are, the, those situations aren't always, you know, um, uh, the, you know, someone doing something wrong. It might be, you know, like you said, these, these calculated odds, right? Like, you know, oh, we're up by, like, roughly 10 kills, right? Like, we can do a split push. And, you know, we'll be able to win both objectives, right? And so it's, that's the point where, like, you know, if you're on the enemy, he's like, well, we're 5v4. This is the best we're going to get, so we got to go now, right? Um, and that's probability scheme. That's not necessarily a mistake in either, in, in either way. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, I, think, I, th I think you're absolutely right about that. Okay. Good. Yeah. Well, that's our fucking advice. A fucking silver you player. Too. And a silver player. <laughs> you, too, you too can make it to silver if, if you follow our advice. The dream of every man um, uh, to, to not to not be an iron. Um, man, I was I, it was crazy that, to me to find out that they they added a a basically a a, a wood tier. Uh, do, you, do you know why they did that? I, I haven't read up on that. Do you, do you have do you, do you have any? It was because so many people got clogged up in bronze four and bronze five um that they just couldn't they never climbed they were always kind of stuck by adding a, an iron tier um it allowed them to give these people 
a certain a sense of their own progression and hope um which seems really i like i'm trying not to be patronizing that sounds really patronizing but you know that is what it is right like you have a much easier ability to uh move around in terms of uh your uh your rank in the ladder uh with iron than with um bronze four bronze five right yeah no it makes makes sense Part of me actually thinks that this is just, like, a matchmaking thing, and that they just, like, needed to get to the side of, like, matchmaking or whatever. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good luck to all of you out there climbing the ladder, and uh, maybe we'll see you on the ladder. And if so, you should throw. Um, but, <laughs> but, buddy, how is how is your week? Uh, how was my week? I actually have been incredibly swamped with work and also doing a lot, so I didn't actually play all that much since the last time like i didn't really get a chance to do much with the new stuff coming out i talked about the total war dlc um the single player hearthstone expansion is coming out later this uh i think tomorrow actually which i am actually reasonably excited for the the gimmick this time is it's a dungeon run just like before but this dungeon run is with is in di- different in two ways uh the first way way is it is with four heroes who have dual classes right um, so like Elise is a priest druid, um, Bran is a, is a hunter warrior, right? Um, but you also, uh, have these final bosses that you can kind of chip away at. The final bosses will have huge amounts of HP, like 300, 500 health, right? But when you fail a run, your next run where you get to that boss, you pick up where you left off, essentially. Which I think is actually kind of a little bit neat, in a way. Uh, the dungeon runs have been very roguelike so far, and so trying out a version of roguelikes that are or trying out a version of dungeon runs that aren't very roguelike and that do kind of keep your progression um even if you have to do the preceding seven bosses um uh, i think it's pretty pretty interesting pretty compelling and i'm kind of hyped to see how it how it comes down um yeah cool um well, what did you I, what, what what did you play? What have you been up to? Uh, uh, so so I think first things first. Uh, some congratulations are in order. Our friends over at the Minute Podcast, um, uh, Paul has has gotten married, and I was able to fortunately. Congratulations, have to Paul! You're the man. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, this also gave me the opportunity to meet uh, their the their co-host, uh, uh, the co-host of the podcast, uh, John in person. Uh, John's a perfectly pleasant guy, um, and uh, you know we talked about D and D and video games. So you know it was a good time. Um, maybe we'll all get back into Destiny when it goes free to play in October. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about that, but that's... Are they big Destiny players? They, they're not, but they played with us initially, and I mentioned that it was going free to play, and they were like, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested, and so, you know, I, I was being aggressive about it, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see, maybe, maybe we can get them to play. Uh, maybe we can get you to play too, buddy. It's gonna be free to, it's gonna be free. Uh, it, I mean, it being free does remove a certain amount of, like, the other reason I played Destiny in the first place was because it was free, right? Yeah, yeah, because you bought it with Wow Gold. Yeah, because um, I bought it with uh, Fun Bucks. Yeah, uh, so maybe we'll 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 see how that goes. But like I said, congratulations uh, to 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 Paul. Um, and uh, what else? What else is there? Oh, I've been playing, of course, uh, Borderlands Three a bit. Oh God, um, tell me all about it. <laughs> um, so first of all, uh, for those of you at home that do not know, I am invested in Take Two. Interactive, which is the parent company of 2K, which is the publisher for Borderlands 3. So Mango is going to sell his Take Two shares specifically, so, he doesn't so I don't have to do time. this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but 
Um, that being said, um, so it's Borderlands. Um, I don't know, like it's it feels like Borderlands. Um, some things that are different about it that um that make it different from kind of its contemporaries is that the uh, it's interesting because like the enemies feel like they have a lot more health, right? Like uh, feels like um like in comparison to something like Destiny, right? Like Destiny, it's usually like one or two shots. Um, for the uh, for like the the more minor uh, enemies like grunty enemies, uh, here everything feels like it's it's a little bit more meatier, which is interesting. You know, I, I, I keep I need to kind of like relearn a little bit how how uh, how to play the game because it, it just plays a little bit differently. There's nothing wrong. With how it. similar it's is it to Borderlands Two? That was the last time I played. Um, so I it feels similar to me. It feels very similar to me, but I also haven't played in a long time. Um, specifically when the previews were coming out that like it plays like Borderlands 2 I was like I don't want to play Borderlands 2 I was going to go back and play Borderlands 2 I was like I don't want to burn myself off on this formula before I get the new game so I let it I let it go um, and if it feels like what I remember Borderlands uh, 2 being like um, from people I've read on the internet um, the like seven years of quality of life improvements you can definitely feel um, I can definitely say that, like, the heroes feel, like, a little bit more unique rather than just being, like, kind of, like, one action button that you that you hit every once in a while is kind of, like, an ultimate ability. It feels like an integral part of your toolkit that you're kind of using fairly consistently. Um, you I'm know, pl- I remember, um, I remember with Borderlands 2, they had, like, a talent tree? Is that still yes. the same? Yep. It's, there's more of it, too, right? Like, there's... Oh, really? So, like in Borderlands 2, every character has three talent trees, but... As you go up the tree, you get access to more um, more options. Um, like, you get passes for your action skill. Each character has a different action skill at the base of each tree, and each character also works a little bit differently. Like, Flack, the character I'm playing, has a pet. Um, Zeke, who I believe is the operative, I think can access both of two of his actions at various mm-hmm. times. Um, and uh, I forget what the other two characters do i think the 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 siren has like uh elemental attachments to her to her abilities i I, i'm not super sure on any of that so don't quote me on it but you can view the skill skill trees online um uh but there is you definitely um you can you you definitely integrate all that into your gameplay i'm playing with uh basically a stealth ability that gives me some higher burst damage and you know you, I put a couple different passives on it, right? Like, I've got the, the monkey that, like, carries around a shotgun. And when I use my, my invisible ability, when I come out of it, he taunts and it keeps all the attention off of me. And I like that play style. Whereas, you know, friend of the cast, Demonic, has been playing Zeke, which has some cool stuff where he generates a clone and you can, like, I think you can swap positions or definitely distracts the enemies. It, they all work a little bit differently. Um, I can't uh, remember who. I think I played... Uh... The assassin character zero? in Borderlands Two, uh, yeah, Zero. He had a he had a stealth ability, yes. And like he comes out of stealth and he hits you with like a headshot for a ton of damage or something. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, but- I remember having a lot of fun with Borderlands Two. And to be honest with you, there's a certain amount of me that's like, you know, if we made a real push to play it together, uh, I I could consider I could consider picking up because when we were playing Borderlands Two, like, do you remember doing the bandit fight or whatever in Borderlands Two? Um, uh, which bandit fight? There's this, there's this gauntlet, right? Where you just, you show up at a place 
and it's a and it's just like a bunch of guys and it's like can you defeat essentially six waves of increasingly more powerful okay. like minions and we spent basically the whole night um on this on this like bandit thing where it was the four of us it was like you me nick and barry or something like that this was maybe five years ago or so um and uh and i've definitely thought about uh that fight as probably the pinnacle of my Borderlands experience, right? Like Borderlands when I was solo was not a ton of fun. Borderlands when we were kind of like going around questing was not a ton of fun. Borderlands doing that bandit fight was really great. And I had a really awesome time. Um, and, uh, and so a version of things where, you know, like we, we set aside some time where we say, Oh, like on this Saturday or whatever, we're all going to play Borderlands from noon till midnight or something kind of along those lines. Right. Like there, that's, uh, I could see myself, I guess, getting into, getting into it. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting because I, I don't know if the game has like something that would be the equivalent of say like a greater rift, which is kind of what you're describing. I don't know if the game has that, um, which you know, I'm I'm only like part of the way through the story. Uh, I'm only off the first planet, so I'm, I'm not super deep into it. But uh, uh, it's interesting. I, I have to imagine if they don't have it, they'll add it at some point. Um, you know, this game's fully going to be fully supported with DLC and whatnot. So we'll 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 see. But it's definitely it's definitely uh, a thing to it's definitely a, uh, a thing to, cons- uh, to 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 wait for i i i don't know if you're going to get that experience out of the out of the current game um i'll let you know if i if i come across it but it, so far yeah. it's just been kind of i mean you know maybe maybe i'm being too harsh i did i did have fun playing the the thing that would bothered me about playing the the game as a as a team was actually to think a balance thing where it felt like the enemies melted a little bit too quickly and they didn't spawn enough of them to really keep the challenge up that was what made the bandit stuff so the okay. bandit gauntlet so fun was like it was a it was a really challenging encounter for us to like we had to do some like real crowd control and shit like that um so yeah no i i i uh i have found it to be sufficiently difficult um on normal at the moment um i don't know how much it's gonna fall off when i start getting into like the crazier guns right like right now it's still everything's still a little bit vanilla i do want to say that like the gunplay feels all right but like something like it's not quite it's not destiny right you know the the halo guys are way too good bungie's way too good at doing gunplay so not, nothing else i think is ever going to be there but like things like the sniper rifles don't really have a lot of kick and while it makes it even easier to shoot like it's like this doesn't it doesn't feel like i'm shooting like a, an ultra powerful sniper rifle it feels like i'm like mm-hmm. plinking away right like the yeah. shotguns feel pretty good to me um the hand like the revolvery gun feels about right um I feel like the the submachine guns have like not enough ammo in the clip, but like maybe that's just kind of like where I am right now. What um, uh? What are the other characters besides? Uh, so there's you're playing. So Monica was playing Flack. You were no, playing, I'm playing. I'm playing Flack. You're playing Flack. Okay, sorry. Flack is uh, uh, for people who who know. Flack is voiced by internet YouTube star ProZD, which is oh fun. no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um. Uh, I believe Zeke is the agent who's uh, who's like zero. Uh, yeah, maybe he's not. I don't know. I mean, nobody's like maps one to one, right? Except for okay. See, it's funny because like Zeke has. Remember who are the different characters from? There was the um, there was zero. There was the guy with the gun turret. Yeah. Um. There was the um, the siren. There's always a siren. Yeah. 
Um, uh, I don't remember what she did or how her moves worked, but she was. I, she I, was I forget how she worked in in two and one. She was like a fire angel. Um, she's like that character Lilith is a recurring character, but uh, um, so there's a siren in this game. She's basically a punch girl. Um, I don't know. If oh, she, interesting. Yeah, she's got like uh, like a, a vaguely like Hindu theme to her. Um, uh, I don't know exactly how she works, but uh, like she's got she's she's buff and she hits things. There's um, another. A woman who's a soldier. She's got like a bear mech. I don't know exactly how. I know less about how she works. I don't think I know her the least of all. Like I said Zeke has the has his clones, and then Flack is the Beastmaster that has like pets, um, and those are kind of roughly their things. Those are the four characters currently. Historically, they've had characters via DLC. My favorite character in two was Krieg, which is like the crazy psycho. That, oh, the psycho. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then there was also the. Um... Like the little girl, Tiny Tina, had, had the mech. Yeah, Tiny yeah. Tina. Didn't she have a met or mech? I or don't remember. I don't think I ever actually played Tiny yeah. Tina. I think I, I never even beat Borderlands Two. Honestly, this yeah. is kind of making me want to like go back to it, which is probably just a sign that I should play three. Yeah, um, maybe. Uh, you know what? We're we're here. You could also wait, right? Like, I don't think I blame anybody for waiting on this. Um, I'm sure it'll have at least PC crossplay when it comes to Steam in April. So, um, mm. if you want to wait, you can wait. Um, I also might wait a little bit while, like, I have definitely had some minor performance issues, and I, I, you know, I don't have the strongest rig anymore, but it's still fairly good, and I've had some, I've had some minor hitches, so, you know, uh, maybe waiting a couple of weeks probably isn't the worst deal. Also, you wait a couple of weeks, see if we end up playing Shadowkeep instead of, which is the Destiny 2 expansion, um, and if we fall off this, then, you know, maybe, maybe it, it, well, you know, you, you can all, you can always buy it later, right? Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Um, something I would recommend, though, is that um, in the run-up to this, I watched basically the movie version of Tales from the Borderlands, which is the Telltale game set in the same universe. A couple of the characters make an appearance in Borderlands 3. Um, and that was actually a really entertaining watch. It was really funny. Um, I've heard that it's great. Yeah. Uh, I loved watching yeah. it. Um, I watched that like two times. It is like an eight-hour watch, so you know. Um, there's some of that, and you know, can I, I know. could we even like buy that on Steam now? That I don't know. Telltale doesn't defunct. exist anymore. Yeah. Um, that license might still exist, just because you know, you know, uh, Gearbox is another video game company, and somebody does own the Take Two name. They're reopening it with under completely new people. Um, but I don't know how those licenses worked. But you can't find Let's Plays of it online. You can't play, find like movies of it. Um, and you know if you can't like if you can't find it you know I don't think there's a problem with watching it as a movie, um, but yeah, um, it's got some cool stuff in it. Um, it was it's a very entertaining watch. Um, so something else that I did over the course of this weekend is I finally finished season three of Young Justice, and I want to uh, I want to mention this uh, because we plan on doing a more full scale. I mean, we did it. it, I've made so many comparisons to young justice in our cast on um, my hero academia that I feel like almost like obliged to sort of come back on, uh, on young justice and get to like, and like complete the thoughts that we had about it. Right. Um, But uh, the other thing that I did while I was on a plane is I watched a movie that I wanted to talk about a little bit because uh, 
it's just interesting. Have you seen like have you taken a plane and seen fucking Rocket Man, the Elton John biopic? I have not seen I have not seen Rocket Man, no. Okay, so that movie is actually really good, and it is the first really good biopic I've seen in a long time because that's the that's the interesting thing biopics have been bad music biopics have been bad basically since the dewey cox story in 2007 was like this incredibly well done parody of all of them and you know it was a stupid movie at the time and nobody really gave her the credit but having since like watched it and watched it a couple of times like it is so on point about how just kind of like lazy all of these like biopics about musicians are and even though i would probably say that rocket man like fulfills a lot of the things that that what that that was funny about uh, like Dewey Cox, right? Like they talked about drugs. It's called Walk Hard, buddy. Show proper respect. Okay, Walk Hard. Um, I, I love that movie. I actually have. I also love that movie. I think that movie is amazing. Like I watched uh, that movie in theaters, and like I bought the the soundtrack at the Fye in the mall, and I listened to it all through high school. So wow. you know, um, that's wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that Starman was a David Bowie song for a long time. I, really? Yeah, yeah. I just, I I didn't quite pick up on it, but uh, yeah, I love- we had a, we had a habit in high school, to be honest, of uh, doing this thing where when we found something very funny, we would go back and rewatch it like four or five times in like the DVD or whatever, and in in Walk Hard, it was the moment where they meet the Beatles and like, you know, Paul Rudd, I think is. John Lennon, Paul McCartney, I can't remember, like, Jack Black is one of them, or whatever. We watched that bit maybe 20 times in succession. We watched it in French, in German, in Spanish, you know what I mean? Like, we watched it with subtitles, like, it was just such a funny, like, bit that we couldn't stop, uh, that we couldn't stop watching it. But anyway, back to Rocket Man. Rocket Man is so good. And the thing about it that makes it good, and it's such a simple, dumb thing... Is that it's just a real? It's a musical, right? Like not a not a not like uh you know, it's not a musical in the sense that like <sighs> music plays or they are like in the studio and they're doing stuff. No, like people will like be sitting at a dinner table or whatever, and then they just like break into song like a real legitimate like the Music Man kind of musical, um and uh, and it's like such a simple thing. And it's really dumb, but for some reason, like, that just, like, makes that movie, like, really good. And I I just, I, I guess I just had to talk about it. <laughs> hey, if did you see, um, did you see the, the Freddie Mercury biopic? Yeah, so that's the, the, the other one that I'm comparing it to, Bohemian Rhapsody, which sucked. Okay. Um, and it sucked for, you know, specific reasons, um... Like, one of them being that the, you know, like, this is the the kind of thing that sucks about these things, right? Like, is that it was produced with, like, the, the consent of two of the members of, like, Queen. And so, like, there was a lot of, like, these guys are producers on the movie and they made 
things like kind of have to happen about their own characters in the movie. Like they kind of had to like punch up their, like these guys like role in things. Um, and there was a lot of like, like for instance, there was a bit about like editing that was like passed around um, about how like, Oh, the editing on this movie is like so bad or whatever. But part of like decisions like that is just that like, you know, you've got these guys sitting in the, in the room who are, like making dem- like really unreasonable demands of the filmmakers and that's just like bound to happen. And I think by the way the exact same pro- thing probably happened with Elton John in Rocket Man, but the difference is that Elton John like was willing to tell a really uncompromising story about himself and his like rise to fame. Um like there's definitely like good guys and bad guys or whatever, but like the Elton John of that movie is, like, a weirdly complex character for one of these, like, biopics to kind of, like, be forcing on. He does not have a very, like, simple storyline or whatever, right? And the movie is pretty brutal with him as kind of, like, a diva and a drama queen um, and a and a sort of, uh, you know, like, and a narcissist, right? And, it, like, there's a part of me that's a little bit like, holy shit, how did Elton John, like... How did Elton John approve the movie where he is, you know, portrayed so poorly? Um, yeah, no, no, that makes. But also least. sympathetically, right? Like, I don't, I want to, you know. The movie was very mean to Elton, but like, all it it ends it ends with the kind of like Elton John and his husband David have been in love, and he's been sober a really long time. He doesn't do drugs because drugs are bad, and all the you know, like the typical stuff that you'll see in these yeah, kinds yeah. of uh, in these kinds of movies. Uh yeah yeah no that makes sense who did who played uh who played him in that movie Taron Edgerton the it's, uh, it's, uh the guy from the Kingsman movies and he is, was also great which was insane you know it, it just occurs to me that like yeah it's the it's the it's the Kingsman guy and Elton John was in the second Kingsman movie I, I absolutely the, think that was uh that was a, that was a thing like that was part of how this all worked. Uh, you know what's funny? Oh, I actually remember this. Um, okay, I actually remember this being a thing. Uh, Dexter Fletcher was, who is the director of Rocket Man, was also the director of like Bohemian Rhapsody. He's a producer on Bohemian Rhapsody. So even though I'm comparing them like very negatively, I guess they kind of have a little bit of a uh, kind of. It's common DNA. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I mean, the, the I guess the big thing that he did was Eddie the Eagle. Did you ever see that movie? The one with, that was another Taron Egerton movie where he's like a flying, he's a, he's a, he's a, not a flying, he's a, uh, a ski jump, ski jump guy. Nope. Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean, but I've never seen that movie. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. It was a movie that came out. I think it did okay. All right. Excellent. Um, what else, what else happened this week? Oh, um, I started to be playing Celeste on the plane to and from uh, 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 DC, um, which is uh, still a great game. Um, very fun on the Switch. Highly recommend it to anyone if you haven't played it yet. I beat it like a year ago. I beat like the main story. I'm going back. I'm rebeating it, and I'm going to hopefully do all the B-sides and all the other crazy stuff. But it's very hard, and if you like hard platformers, it's it's a great is game. Is it a hard platformer? Like uh, I, I always think of Super Meat Boy when yep. I think of hard platformers. It's, it's, it's different than Super Meat Boy, but it is it is in that kind of genre of like platformers that are hard and just get harder. Um, okay. 
like if you want like go watch like a b-side of of celeste uh, like a, a run on youtube and you'll just be like what the fuck um it's uh it's pretty great um you know it's funny uh this is completely unrelated but you just got me thinking about it uh, uh because you're talking about like difficulty or whatever um so in the ongoing sort of struggle of uh people playing uh wow classic there is a streamer whose name is like kungan um and there's a certain set there's a certain set of kind of like wow classic sort of like thought leaders uh and one of the things that has come out recently is the idea that blizzard themselves ruined classic by making it not go patch by patch and instead they were on patch 1.12 patch 1.12 was the final patch of vanilla before 2.0 where the all of the burning crusade stuff ended up happening like the level 70 and you know like the outland and all this other kind of shit and so there's this and so the the current narrative um in fact he has a tweet of that that says 1.12 1.12 is when vanilla was over when they made it all easy mode so everyone could raid it before the burning crusade like they always do in every expansion um he says i wasn't wrong i made a tweet with the list of the most changes everything is nerfed in the whole game on top of that all classes are stronger plus stronger item it basically went from mythic to normal mode that's the truth no reason to be mad about it and what he's responding to is the idea that like ragnaros got cleared because the game is so much that that like actually doing ragnaros is not hard um and like because the narrative and we talked about this on the cast is that like oh we are just much better mmo players now and mythic as shara is a much harder fight now than ragnaros was back then it took half a year to defeat ragnaros because we were just like not that complex in our in our thinking about rating and now we are very complex in our thinking about rating um and so there is this there is this desire among classic uh classic diehards to disprove that idea and that narrative and uh and so yeah i don't know i just wanted to bring it up because i thought it was really fucking funny (laughs) that sounds that sounds like like people wanting to be mad about something i don't know yeah i mean i'm still seeing a lot of um i'm still seeing a lot of like troublesome uh thoughts on on how you know the way the classic has been interacting with other titles um and 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 retail right like people are still doing a lot of like there's a lot of shitty you know retail is really awful i really hate people who've been going after warfronts because it's one of my favorite pieces of the expansion but there's a lot of like blizzard should just scrap all warfronts and not do any more warfronts which i really think is incorrect um and so you know i feel like there is no end in sight for the for for you know the wild ride that we've all been on yeah makes sense so i i did see um, I popped up a, a video of, from Bellular Gaming that um, they added new recruiter friend features and people are a little bit steamy about the Oh, backpack. people are really angry about that. Yeah, so uh, the way the new recruiter friend features work is there are 12 of them. For every month that a friend recruited by you plays the game, uh, that 
you earn one of those features and it counts up and it just counts the total number of months right so if i were to invite you back to the game this also by the way includes like welcome back stuff right so if i were to invite you back to the game and you played for three months i would get the first three features right but if i invited you and josh and nick back to the game i would get nine features um uh, the features are all actually like really awesome and really cool. There's a two player, uh, or two seater plane. Um, there's a, uh, there's a whole set for like transmog, this like archeologist gear or whatever. And the thing people are really mad about is that there is a cloak that is a backpack, right? Um, and they think that that just like looks really awesome from a, just like from a visual standpoint. Um, but the, uh, uh, but the frustration is that it's like more, you know, it's like more of like a pay to win sort of, uh, sort of thing. Um, and you know, I get that. That kind of sucks. I like this better than the old recruiter friend, um, which was much more sort of like if your recruited friend played for six months or something, you got like one reward, which was just like a mount. And it was like one of six mounts or whatever. And you could choose, which was just like kind of crazy. And I like that they sort of streamlined the process and made it very clear. Uh, but you know, it definitely sucks that they are hiding cool stuff about the game behind, you know, like that kind of a gigantic sort of, sort of paywall. People are talking about this as like a $200 paywall, um, which you know, yeah, I get that sucks. Um, it is what it is. All right. I think it's for, I think it's, if you haven't played the game for a year, you could be recruited back into the game. So if you ever want to come back to World of Warcraft Mango, make sure you let me know so that I can recruit, send recruit you me. like the recruiter friend. Yeah, the recruiter yes, friend code or whatever. whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, um, I don't know if I'll be out long enough. Like, it does sit like the, 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 uh, the new patch stuff does sound juicy. So we'll see. I'll at least watch the cinematics. Um, this the belly. I'll link the Bellyor gaming video, but they were talking about ah, oh, they added two videos that are like three minutes and six minutes. Oh yeah, the encrypted video. They've started encrypting yeah. stuff uh, so it doesn't get data mined, and the uh, they added two encrypted cinematics for the next patch. The one of them is three minutes long. One of them is six minutes long. Um, there is a. Uh, there is also a string of text that implies that 8.2.5 is going to be the end of the war campaign, which has kind of been the, um, like, it's it's kind of been the, like, max level sort of campaign that everybody does. It's sort of like the artifact campaign. Uh, people have also said that the end of the war campaign means that, you, like, there might not be an 8.2.3, or there might not be an 8.3, maybe they'll just go straight into 9.0, uh, which I don't think is correct, because the war campaign also ended for, I'm sorry, the the artifact campaign ended in eight or in 7.2 for Legion, so it would make a certain amount of sense if they ended the war campaign in the same spot. Um, I think they do this, honestly, just to kind of keep things, like, streamlined uh so that like if a if somebody comes back to the game they don't have to like sit down for six hours and do like the whole war campaign end to end in order to catch up to like current content you know like that that's what happened yeah, with yeah. 8.3 with argus argus was not linked to you know any of the uh any of the other stuff um so yeah uh but i i am excited to see sort of how the like the war campaign breaks out. Really my like principal concern when it comes to the future of World of Warcraft is one, I do not want um the uh I don't want WoW to repeat the 
the Garrosh story, right? I would like to see a version of things where Sylvanas is portrayed differently, even if she's still evil or something along those lines, and we end up fighting her in a raid or whatever. Like, I just don't want this to be Mists 2.0, and I'm holding out a lot of hope that it will not end up being... Uh, it will not end up being that way, which is part of why I liked the Shadowlands leak, because the Shadowlands leak where Sylvanas' whole plan is everybody fucking dies, which makes you immune to void corruption, and so now we're going to, like, beat up the old gods or whatever. Um, That's pretty cool, and I'd like to see something, you know, something like that come out. But, hey, who knows? We'll see. I'm sure we'll we'll talk about this in, like, our inevitable, like, BlizzCon episode or something. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we will. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to at least watch it from a distance, but, um, unless you have anything else to talk about, I think that's all we have time for. You have anything else you want to talk about? Buddy? Hello? Sorry. I clicked a, I clicked a thing, uh, and it pulled me out of the, it pulled me out of the cast. (laughs) I just saw Barry was live or whatever. And I was like, oh, like, what's this? And then I clicked it and it popped me, it popped me back into lol naps. Well, okay. Well, well, uh, I think that's all we have time for then. Uh, do you, uh, you can reach us Oh, can I ask you something? Uh, Aaron linked the podcast about Zephyrus. I, I've, I have not linked it or I've not listened to it, uh, but he pinged it for you. Did you listen to it? Not yet. I was planning on watching it tomorrow morning, actually. Okay, very cool. Yeah, that is – it it apparently touches on the stuff that we had talked about, which is, like, how they program Zephyrus and all this other stuff that I think is really interesting um, and cool. Honestly, watching Hearthstone players play with Zephyrus has been a lot of fun because they can tell what Zephyrus is going to give them, and that makes, like, the skill cap much, much higher. Uh, But, but yeah. All right. We'll we'll absolutely look at that – look at that later. Um, or probably next week, I guess, or maybe the week yeah. after, depending on next week might no promises, but next week might be, uh, an in-person cast from the two of us. Ooh. We'll finally an record an episode cast. in the same room. Yeah, for real. Um, uh, but if you'd like to reach out to us and tell us what you think about any of the things we talked about in this episode, like climbing the, the ranks of law, you can reach us at podcast.nerdsplaygames.com or nerdsplaygames at gmail.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash nerdsplaygames. Um, uh, you can read and review us on iTunes and all the, all the great places that podcasts are found and you can donate to us on Patreon at patreon.com buddy do you have anything else you want to promote before we got out of here I have nothing else I'm looking to promote in that case until next time dear listeners until next time loyal listeners